morning. Are we glad to be in service today? Come on, let's put our hands together. Give a great hand clap of praise to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are blessed to be in worship on today. We are grateful for all of you who are joining us on this Palm, on this Palm Sunday. And we are finishing up, wrapping up our current series entitled One. Someone say one. one. We have been truly blessed uh, over the past couple of weeks being led by our lead pastor, Pastor Alicia. Throughout this series, we have been looking at what it means to become a community of one, a community united around Jesus Christ. And so as a brief recap, over the last couple of weeks, for week one, Pastor Alicia reminded us that we are all masterpieces. Someone say masterpiece. masterpiece. Week two, she helped us to understand and to recognize that although we are all individual masterpieces, we are also different. We have different gifts and abilities and talents and interests and passions and so forth. But when we come together as a community with each of us doing our part, that we become an unstoppable force in the world. Somebody say unstoppable. unstoppable. And so this week, this week, I want us to look at perhaps the biggest roadblock to seeing the community of one become a reality. That is division. See, the Bible says in Mark chapter 3, verse 25, that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And so perhaps the most common reason that division is our biggest roadblock to becoming and living as a community of one is the fact that we are all different. See, it's easy to fit the links of a chain, to connect the links of a chain when all the links are the same size and the same shape. But we cannot become a community of one until we are able to accept our differences. For example, I think that we all can agree that because we're all different, we have different tastes, right? For example, we have different tastes in reading, the types of books that we like to read, right? Some of us like to read spiritual development. I'm reading a series um, about organizational leadership as it relates to ministry. My uncle enjoys reading the newspaper. I have friends who love reading about sports and they memorize all the analytics and can quote you know, the, the, uh, the trivia from all of their favorite sports teams and favorite athletes. So we all enjoy different types of reading. We all have different tastes. A few years ago, I was asked who my all-time favorite writer is, my all-time favorite author. And without hesitation, I immediately said, Dr. Charles H. Spurgeon. Dr. Charles H. Spurgeon wrote something in one of his books entitled Prayer and Spiritual Warfare. And this is one of the reasons why I love Dr. Spurgeon. He said, when the creator gives his creature the power of thirst, it is because water exists to meet that thirst. 
He says that when he creates hunger, there is food to correspond to the appetite. Even so, when he inclines us to pray, it is because that prayer has a corresponding blessing connected to it. Jesus prayed that we would live a community of one. But another reason why I like Dr. Spurgeon, as a matter of fact, as I was preparing for this message, I ran across something that he said in regards to division in the church. Here's the quote, and I think it's going to help set up the context for the message today. He says that Satan hates fellowship. It is his policy to keep us apart. Anything which can divide he delights in. And since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. Hmm. Here's the thesis and the main point for today. If the church is going to transform the world, we must be united in our love for Christ and for each other. Anything short of that is defeat. But the truth of the matter is that Satan is constantly trying to derail us. He is, in a real sense, always trying to create fault lines that will break us apart and keep us from being united. See, in geological terms, a fault line is a fracture along which the crust of the earth has moved. Sections of the earth have moved. And so seismic waves are then generated when these two sides of the fault rapidly slip past one another. But then for most earthquakes, the fault lines do not break the surface, so they can be seen only through analyzing these seismic waves. See, fault lines are often invisible. Until an earthquake strikes and then separation occurs and then things begin to fall apart. So it is with our lives. See, the fault lines within us are hard to see. They are hard to detect until something happens that shakes things up. And then suddenly things fall apart. These fault lines can be hard to see, but I assure you they are there. They're there and they're dangerous. But what does all of this have to do with us becoming and living as a community of one? Everything. It has everything to do with us becoming and staying a community of Jesus followers and living in a world as a community of one. Because fault lines happen within our community of faith because we are broken and imperfect people. We're not as put together as we think we are, right? We are all broken and imperfect people. Isaiah 64 and 6 says, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness is as filthy rags. We are all broken and imperfect people. And guess what? Even so in the church. I know we like to think that we're perfect, but even in the church. In fact, these fault lines are the single biggest reason that most of our churches are failing to have the kind of impact that we are called to have. These fault lines are the single biggest reason why we are unable to live as a community of one. And so consequently, it makes us appear to be defeated to our enemy, 
Why? Because we are divided. And if we are divided, then the enemy can keep us defeated. In other words, a divided church is a defeated church. But this means that, that we must be very intentional about preventing future and and, and uh, a future healing and currently healing our fault lines in our church. We must be intentional about healing and preventing future fault lines from even forming. But I have good news. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul addresses this very thing in his letter to the community of Jesus followers in the city of Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, and that is where we find our text today, inside of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. See, the Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, is a letter to a Jesus community made up of both Jews and Gentiles. They were different, yet expected to live as a community of one, and these two groups were natural enemies because the Jews looked down on the Gentiles. They looked down on them because they didn't have the law. They, did, they were not the chosen people. They were not a special people. The Gentiles worshiped multiple pagan gods. The Gentiles practiced all kinds of sexual immoralities. They lived wild lives. They, they participated and engaged in drunkenness and orgies and lying to get ahead in business and cheating other people and anger and fighting and gossiping and slandering. So the Jews looked down on them. But then on the flip side, the Gentiles also looked down on the Jews. See, the Gentiles thought that the Jews were stuck up and sedity. They were uneducated with no sophistication. They thought the Jews were weak and conquered and always complaining. They were arrogant and distasteful and pretty much unlikable. They were standoffish and didn't accept or even like other groups. Plus, they thought that the Jews had this weird religious idea, and they were very judgmental. But amazingly, through Christ, these two groups came together as followers of Jesus living in one community. And much of the letter to this community of Jesus followers, Paul aimed at telling the Jews that Jesus called the Gentiles to be a part of the family of God just the same. And then he told, he tells the Gentiles that they have been adopted into this family to share in all the benefits just as their brothers and sisters in, of Jewish descent. And so Paul spends a good portion of this letter telling them both that being a part of this family means what? We can't live like we used to. Being a part of the family of God means that there are certain expectations that we have to try to live up to. What Paul is saying is that if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we must come together as a community of one. So let's jump into the text. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, 
endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I think I just preached a sermon right there. Listen. I want us to first note that Paul writes this letter from prison. He is in prison because of his commitment to Jesus and the way of life that Jesus calls his followers to live. Now, this is important to our calling to live as a community of one because it speaks to the kind of mindset that it requires. See, unity requires a different kind of conviction. It requires a different kind of focus. It requires a different kind of mentality, a different approach to life, a different belief system about life. See, Paul doesn't refer to himself as just a prisoner, but he says, I am a prisoner for the Lord. In other words, my experience is bigger than me. You see that? He says that my state of being is bigger than me. My circumstances are bigger than me. I am not here because of my own plans and my own agenda. I am here for the sake of Christ. I am in this position for the sake of my Savior. I am here for the purpose of fulfilling God's will. He says, I am a prisoner for the Lord. I love that. I love that. Because that's the kind of mindset and perspective that is required from each of us in order that we might become a community of one. See, 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 we have to recognize that what we believe and why we believe and the fulfillment of our faith is bigger than any one of us. Becoming a community of faith is bigger than the pastor. It's bigger than the worship team. It's bigger than any single ministry. It's bigger than, than, than the prayer ministry or the youth ministry or the building committee. It's bigger than the deacons or the trustees or the elders. It's bigger than any policy, procedure, or protocol. Becoming a community of one requires a mindset of humility and inclusivity. It requires sacrifice. And a willingness to live a life that exemplifies the love of Jesus Christ. Ah, that's why, that's why, that's why the Bible says, that's why the Bible says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death of the cross. Wherefore, God has also exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And so, and so as, a, as a prisoner for living 
a life modeled after Jesus and rooted in his faith in Jesus, Paul is calling these two groups, as well as you and I, who both have faith in Jesus and want to live like Jesus, Paul is calling them and us to heal the fault lines in our community. But to do so, we must be able to humble ourselves. It's a mindset of, of, of humility. It's almost as if Paul is saying, look, if I can go to prison because of my faith in Jesus, if I can see that this is bigger than me and for my life of imitating Jesus that is radically different from the world around us, then surely we can work to heal our natural fault lines to become and protect the community of one. Remember, a divided church is a defeated church. The second thing, I want us to know first there's the mentality it takes a different mindset right but the second thing I want us to note is the motivation to becoming a community of one see it's not enough just to adopt the mindset that's the beginning that's the starting point that's where we began there must also be motivation to put in the work you see that see here's the thing it's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. It's going to require some work. And the truth of the matter is that we're going to need a little motivation. See, I love this because Paul not only exhorts or instructs the church at Ephesus to live in community as a community of one, but he also encourages them by providing a little motivation. In the second part of verse 1, Paul encourages them to live worthy of the calling. That is not only an exhortation or an instruction, but it's also encouragement and motivation. Why? Because when we begin to live worthy of our calling, we align ourselves with the benefits of salvation. Ha! Too often, we only associate salvation with the afterlife, after we die, after we transition from this earthly world. But there are some benefits to salvation and to accept, accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and personal Savior that we can enjoy while we are still living. Like what? I'm glad you asked. The benefits of salvation that I believe we can enjoy while we are still living is number one, newness of life in the spirit. Romans 6 and 4 says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that Jesus Christ, just as Christ, was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Spiritual strength is another benefit. Galatians 5 and 16 says that we ought to live by the Spirit, and if we do, you will certainly not gratify the desires of the flesh. Spiritual strength. But how about living a life full of love? Ephesians 5 and 2 says, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Another benefit, another benefit is spiritual wisdom. Ephesians 5 and 15 says, be careful, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. 
Another benefit, spiritual light, 1 John 1 and 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But how about this one? Perhaps the biggest, the biggest benefit of all is that we become more like Christ. 1 John 2 and 6 says that whoever claims to live in him must also live as Jesus did. So our motivation to becoming a community of one is a newness of life. It's having strength and being renewed in the spirit. It's living life in the fullness of love. It's having spiritual wisdom to guide us through the rough terrain of life. It's having spiritual light and insight, and it sets us on a path to becoming more like Christ. So the motivation becomes changing the way that we look at things. See, to live worthy of our calling, it changes the way we look at life. It changes the way we look at people. It, it changes the way we look at one another. It changes the way we look at our experiences. It changes our perspective about the world around us, and it changes the way that we even look at God. See, the Bible says that, that we ought to be, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, which is in Christ Jesus. So the motivation is for us to live worthy of our calling and being transformed by the renewing of our mind. If you think back to the last series, remember I told you that in our last series that we are transformed into our authentic selves when we have gone through some opposition. And so we need Jesus to renew our minds so that we can live as a community of one and heal our fault lines. But then the question becomes, once we get it, how do we keep it? Once we arrive at a community and unity, how do we stay there and how do we protect it? <laughs> you know, uh, one of the jokes, one of the jokes that I hear very often uh, is that, you know, when uh, the older we get, uh, the more our body starts to fall apart, right? Amen. Some say that, you know, pastor, I'm sorry, once you hit 50, they say it's all downhill from there. Right. But, you know, they say that uh, that, you know, you wake up some mornings once you get to that certain age and parts of your body that you didn't even know you had start hurting. You get different aches and pains that you never experienced before. Right. But about 10 years ago, as I was preparing this sermon, it just it, it, it comically reminded me of this about 10, 10 years or so ago. I woke up one morning and, and I could barely lift my left arm. Right. It was just so painful. And at first, you know, I thought it would kind of loosen up as the day went on. And after I kind of stretched out and got moving, that it would kind of loosen up. But days and even a couple weeks went by and it only got worse to the point where I could barely even dress myself. It was so painful. So I finally I broke down. I went to the doctor after some examination and an MRI. It was discovered that I have a small tear in one of the ligaments attached to my rotator cuff. Immediately, I had two questions. The first question was, is it gonna require surgery? The second question was, how much is it gonna cost? Right? 
But then the doctor said something, and I think this is very profound. He said, listen, you don't have to worry about any of that right now because what I will prescribe for you are some exercises to strengthen the muscles around the tear to prevent it from tearing and to allow it to heal on its own. If we want to fix the fault lines, the tears that are preventing us from living as a community of one, we have to become stronger. And the only way we can become stronger is by exercising our spiritual gifts. You see that? We have to exercise in order to become stronger. In this case, Paul says in verse 2 that we have to be humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. In other words, if we're going to become stronger so that we can become a community of one, we have to exercise our gifts of humility, patience, and compassion. We have to be humble, recognizing that, that we have more in common then we do differences. First Peter 5 and 6 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. We have to be patient, understanding that we all have faults. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we have to be compassionate and willing to help one another in times of trouble. Psalm 116 and 5 says that the Lord is gracious and righteous and our God is full of compassion. We have to exercise our spiritual gifts and make every effort to strengthen, retain, and hold on to the unity to which we have been called. But something else about exercising is that it's going to cost you a little bit. You're going to go through some growing pains. You know, I was reading an article just this past week. I love fitness, and I'm working out trying to get over this plateau uh, uh, for becoming a little bit stronger physically. And I was reading an article. And in the article, I was reminded that growth of the muscles does not happen, happen during the exercise. During the exercise, the muscles are actually being broken, right? That's why you experience a little, some tension and a little discomfort. But the growth in the muscles and the strength doesn't happen until you take some rest. That's when the muscles begin to come together, and that's why we experience soreness. So likewise, in the church, we're going to go through some growing pains. We may not see the progress as we're going through, but once we step back, then we'll see that we are coming together and we are becoming stronger as a community of one. Once we set out to grab hold of that unity, we have to make every effort to keep it. Some translations say that we have to be eager to remain or to retain that unity. But how do we make every effort to keep our unity? Humility. We have to consider others before ourselves. Gentleness. We have to be kind and considerate. Practice meekness, not forcing our will or our opinion or our desires or our thoughts or our perspectives on other people. We have to be patient. Forbearance, practice forbearance and practice long-suffering and practicing slowness in avenging our wrongs. 
I know when people hurt you, you want to get your revenge, right? But we have to practice not avenging our wrongs, but then we have to bear with one another. We have to be compassionate. We have to help one another carry the loads and the burdens of this life. But how do we do it? We do it all out of love. Why did Jesus do it? He did it all out of love. Why did God send Jesus? He did it all out of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So if we want to heal our current fault lines and prevent future ones from happening and occurring, then we have to be intentional. We have to do the hard work of being humble and gentle and patient and bearing each other's burdens. Or to put it another way, we have to be intentional about building our unity. How do we build our unity? The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, that we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility we value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but each of us to the interests of others. A couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, Pastor Alicia told us that we do nothing out of selfish ambition. We ought to do nothing out of vain conceit, but instead we ought to be asking not what do I want, but what do they need? You see that? It's not about I. It's about them. It's not about you. It's about us. And in addition to that, we have to practice forgiveness and reconciliation. See, see, one of the reasons uh, I feel like uh, disunity or we see disunity in our families and in our workplaces and our social political interactions and even in our churches is because most American Christians are worldly. We don't live differently from the world like we're called to be. We live too much like the world. We don't truly live like Christ, completely sold out to Christ, as Paul says, as a complete prisoner for Christ. But rather than graciously forgiving one another, we tend to point out how we've been wronged and insist that those who have wronged us come and make it right. But Paul tells us later in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, um, verse 32, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave us. What does that mean? It means that even when we're wronged, we should forgive. Even when we're hurting, we should forgive. Even when we're feeling neglected, we are called to forgive as Christ forgave us completely. Not just when they say I'm sorry, not just when they deserve it, when we think they deserve it, not just when we try to make them feel bad enough, not just when we, we, we try to force people to make up for what they have done to us, but we are to forgive fully and we are to seek reconciliation with one another. See, forgiveness is the same as saying I'm not going to hold this against you. Reconciliation is saying, I'm going to work to restore the fault line, 
to restore the broken relationship. So one way for us to stay in step with God and to stay in tune with this Holy is to stay in tune with this Holy Spirit. And that's how we accomplish forgiveness and reconciliation. All too often we try to do it ourselves. But it is the spirit that gives us the strength to do it. And so if we want to be in unity with the people around us, if we want to heal the fault lines, if we want to become and protect a unity or a community of one, then we have to stay in tune with the spirit. Bible says it is the fruit of the spirit which is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. So when we're in tune with the Holy Spirit, our life looks like love. Our life looks like joy. Our life looks like peace. Our life looks like kindness. We are then exercising our spiritual gifts of goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And then we can begin to find and build unity and heal the fault lines from their natural consequence. Listen, over the past few weeks, We've talked a lot about becoming one. We've talked about the inherent value that we have when we are created in the image of God. We've talked about celebrating the blessed differences that, all, that we all have. And today we've taken another step to talk more about the fault lines that grow when we don't see each other in God's image or celebrate our differences. But when we become divided over these things, it's incredibly difficult to have unity with each other. And so as we wrap up this series, I think it's important for us to consider at least two areas where we can personally impact the unity and health in ourselves and, our, and in others. First, on a personal level, where do we start building unity? We should develop the habit of considering others ahead of ourselves. We should ask the question, what do they need? But secondly, we ought to ask, do we need to go to someone and seek their forgiveness or offer our forgiveness of them? Where do we need to get over ourselves and work to bring reconciliation? Are we in tune with the Holy Spirit? Are we pursuing love? Are we pursuing joy and peace and forbearance and all of the other spiritual, spiritual fruits? That's on a personal level. But then on a corporate level, where can we build and encourage unity amongst the fellowship? By asking the question, are we working to build unity here in our church? Are we praying and seeking to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. And so finally, let's not miss out on the power and the benefit of coming together in fellowship and community with other believers. Believe it's in the book of Acts when we see that the early church absolutely devoted to meeting together, Acts chapter 2. And these were people in groups who had immense differences. But yet and still, in the power of the Holy Spirit and through the bond of Christ, they were able to come together in their common faith. 
And so today, it is my prayer, it's my prayer that we make a commitment to this local fellowship, that we, that we be de devoted to building and uplifting and creating a community of oneness within our church, but not just to one another in our church, but also to our Christ. So that we recognize and we understand that, that his living and his teaching and his healing and his preaching and all the things that he did while he was here on earth and that his death and his resurrection is not in vain. That's how we become a community of one, is to be united, united Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are so grateful for this opportunity to delve into your word, oh God, to explore your word in which we are learning how it is that we ought to become and live as a community of one. But we recognize, oh God, that we cannot do this alone, that we need your Holy Spirit to push us and to pull us and to lead us and to guide us and even to protect us. We are reminded that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed for us that you would protect us and that you would allow us to be one with each other, but also to be one with you. And so we bless your name. We honor you. We magnify you. We exalt you above everything, oh God. Because you are our God, our Father, our Redeemer, our Savior, our Provider, our Protector. You are our all in all. You are our everything. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.